Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Josh, and I'm so glad you're listening in and inviting me in to share a little bit of God's Word with you today. At Valley View Friends Church, we like to say we are learning how to live as God's people, and we do this by reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. Well, it is the season of Lent. What on earth is Lent, do you ask? Well, it's the 40 days leading up to Easter, and many Christians around the world observe Lent by fasting, praying, and giving to the poor. Traditionally, Lent is a season of reflection and preparation for Easter. It's a time of repentance, of facing our mortality, of understanding our need for the salvation that Jesus offers. And through this season of Lent, we will be exploring some of the themes the ideas of Lent, starting today with repentance. Oswald Chambers writes these words about repentance. He says, The bedrock of Christianity is repentance. Strictly speaking, a man cannot repent when he chooses. Repentance is a gift of God. The old Puritans used to pray for the gift of tears. If ever you cease to know the virtue of repentance, you are in darkness. Those are quite some words for us to hear and think about. Repentance is important. And today I want to talk about steps, different steps you can walk through to practice healthy repentance. Our scripture text today is really short. It's very simple. It's just simply one bringing to our attention that, yes, Jesus called us to repent. It comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, and it simply says this, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This scripture is the launch of Jesus' earthly ministry. Mark records it, that it coincides with the arrest of John the Baptist, and John's message was also a call to repentance. Mark tells us that John preached a baptism of repentance so that Israel could be ready for the one who is coming next, the Messiah. Well, now the Messiah has arrived, and so Jesus, the Messiah, calls everyone to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. His message is repent, not just so you feel bad about what you've done, but repent so you don't miss out on the kingdom. I know that repentance is an unpopular word. No one likes to have their flaws pointed out, but repentance isn't really about flaws. It's actually deeper. Repentance is about sin. It's about admitting rebellion against God and confessing our need for redemption. Please, do not, re- re- do not view repentance as just a negative activity. There's, you know, that side of facing sin, but there's also hope in repentance. It's, it's a life preserver. That's what repentance is. It's a life preserver linked to Christ. Repentance done correctly leads out of darkness to a vibrant and beautiful life in Jesus. And this is why Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. Repentance is ultimately good. And repentance will bring out the best in you. Because only from the honesty of repentance can you receive the grace of Jesus Christ. So here's the big idea for you today. Jesus' call to repentance asks each of us to face the truth of our sin 
to confess our sin, seeking forgiveness, and to step by faith into a renewed life with God. So, what does repentance require? Well, Jesus, as I pointed out, calls you and me to repent. John the Baptist called Israel to repent. The prophets of the Old Testament called the people to repent. And in the New Testament, when the apostles share the good news of Jesus to anyone, they call them to repent. There seems to be a pattern. It's important to repent. Repentance is important to God. It's essential for you and for me. Without repentance, you will be stuck in yourself forever. You need it. And so today I want to take a few minutes to talk about how to repent. And there's a series of steps that you can walk through. Uh, They're not rigid steps, but they are a way to ensure that your repentance is true. But before we get into those, I just want to talk a moment about what repentance actually is. Because if we don't know what it is, we can't do it very well. Simply put, repentance is a change of mind and a change of direction. It's not just a detour. It's a decision. Repentance happens when we face our sin and we realize the mistake of our sin and we change our mind and we turn back to God. So, repentance requires a change in us, a change in our minds for what we thought was true to the truth of God, a change in our heart from selfishness to honoring others and especially honoring God, and a change in our actions from sinfulness to holiness. So, I want to share five steps of repentance that will help you walk through what's needed to experience this change of mind, change of heart, and change of action. Why is repentance so important? Well, simply put, without it, we are lost. Repentance allows us to turn from the worst of life to the best life possible in Jesus Christ. So, let's go through, I want to talk about five steps of repentance, beginning with the first one, which is conviction. When Jesus calls you to repent, he is calling you to face reality. He is calling you to see the real truth of your place in life. It's about a change in your mind, a correction from what you thought was true to the reality of the situation, to what God says is actually truth. Sometimes we can be really certain about something. This is how it has to be. And the reality is very different. There's a little story that goes like this. There's a young husband who wanted to bless his wife by making her dinner. And he decided he's going to cook a roast with all the fixings, mashed potatoes, uh, green beans. It's just a wonderful dinner. And as he prepared the roast to go in the oven, his young bride was watching. And she was puzzled as he took that roast and he cut an inch off of each end and threw it into the trash. Why are you cutting the ends off the roast like that? Why did you throw them away? It's a waste of perfectly good meat. He thought about it for a moment. He said, you know, I don't know why I cut the ends off. I don't know what the reason is, but it's got to be a good one because that's how my mother always prepared a roast. A little later, the young husband decided to call his mom and find out why she cut the ends off of the roast. She thought about it. She said, you know, I don't really know why I do that either. It's just what my mother always did when she cooked a roast. So the young son decided, I got to get to the bottom of this. And he called his grandmother and he asked her, why do you cut the ends off of a roast before you bake it in the oven? And there was a long pause on the other end of the phone and then a laugh as grandma said, oh, that's easy. I have to cut the ends off the roast so that it fits in my roasting pan. It was too small, the pan. 
Ah, sometimes we live a certain way, doing certain things that we've always done with no idea why. We think, well, that's just how it is. And maybe we have no idea how silly we look or, in the case of sin, how dangerous we're living. Till we find out the truth. Repentance starts with truth and reality. It starts with you coming face to face with the holiness of God and understanding how unholy you are. The prophet Isaiah had this experience. He encountered the presence of God in the temple. He experienced the holiness of God seated on the throne. He had a decision to make to believe that reality or to ignore it, and he believed it. And we hear that belief in his response in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. It says, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now, you might not receive a vision from God on his throne, but you can still face the reality of God. And there are two primary ways that God brings about that conviction of truth into your life. And you must understand this. It is God who convicts. He's the one that convicts. He shows us reality, and he does it through the Bible and through the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16 talks about the power of the word. It says, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So, right there we're told about how the Bible brings truth into our lives to convict us. And then John chapter 6, verses 7 through 9, read like this. It's Jesus speaking. He says, But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me. We need the Bible and we need the Holy Spirit to show us reality because human opinion is flawed. We cannot just go about living based on human opinion. There's a story, one of my favorite figures in church history, his name was Athanasius. I know that's a mouthful. And he literally stood for the truth when the whole world was going the other way. And here's a little uh, description of what was happening. It, It goes like this, Athanasius, an early bishop of Alexandria, stoutly opposed the teachings of Arius who declared that Christ was not the eternal Son of God, but that Christ was a subordinate being, a lesser God. Athanasius was hounded through five exiles, and he was finally summoned before the Roman Emperor Theodosius, who demanded that Athanasius cease his opposition to Arius. The emperor reproved him and asked, Do you not realize that all the world is against you? And Athanasius quickly answered, Then I am against all the world. He knew the truth. He had dug into the Bible. He was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He believed that truth. He was convicted and he lived in that truth. So, for you, read the Bible, dig into it, and you will encounter God. I know the Holy Spirit will speak to you as you read the Bible. And when you do so, you will encounter the truth. Conviction. That's what we need. That's step one. It is honesty about who you are and what you've done and what your current condition is. And that leads to the next step in repentance. Step two is contrition. 
Contrition, that's a complex word we don't hear too much anymore. It simply is this. It is sorrow over your sin. Contrition is sorrow over your sin. It might start with fear of the consequences of your sin, but contrition goes a little further. It's a genuine feeling of remorse and regret over what you've done. And it leads to you wanting to make things right. I have sinned against God. I need to, these things need to be made right. Second Corinthians chapter 7 says this, beginning in verse 9. Yet now I am happy, writes Paul, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to your repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. This is about feeling the weight of sin that leads to a change in your heart. It is a sorrow that leads to transformation. I love what Charles Spurgeon, and I've used this a few months ago when we talked about repentance, but I love this illustration by Charles Spurgeon to talk about the weight of sin. And I think that when we feel this contrition, we will feel this weight. And so he writes, did you ever try to pull a bucket up a well? You know that When it's full of water, you can easily pull it along so long as the bucket remains underneath the water. But when it gets above the water, you know how heavy it is. You feel its weight. It's just so with you. While you are in sin, you don't feel the burden. It does not seem to be so evil, but if the Lord once draws you out of that sin, you will find it to be an intolerable, a heinous evil. You'll feel its weight. Part of repentance is honesty over sin, and then the next part is feeling the weight of it, how heavy it is. It's not to belittle you or me. It's not to. Uh, it's simply about being serious of the nature of sin. The reality is that repentance does not have an emotional requirement, but a reality requirement, and that reality, once we see it, can be emotional. It's a burden. And that burden will lead to the third step of repentance, which is confession. Confession is the speaking aloud of the wrong that you have done. Confession is important because it ties a change of mind and a change of heart together into a step towards action. Confession is actually made in three different directions to three different groups of persons. The first is that confession is made to yourself. You need to speak it out loud so that you hear what you've done. Confession must also be made to God. But then confession must be made to others, perhaps someone that you've wronged. And if not to someone you've wronged, just to confess to someone who can help you in the future with that sin. Confession is essential for you. Do not let your sin go unspoken. Even if it's only between you and God, confess. Jen Pollock Michael writes this, To confess isn't to tell God anything he doesn't already know. It's simply to agree with God on our wrongdoing and wrong being that we sin because we're sinners. Confession is an admitting to yourself of the mistakes you have made and your need for forgiveness to God. Fourth step. 
It's a call for forgiveness. There's a button once found in a tourist shop to err as human. To forgive is out of the question. I think that's how a lot of us feel when we've been wronged. We might struggle with forgiving those who have hurt us, but we all need forgiveness from God. Here's another quote, one that's a bit more serious. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And that's the reality. I'm not sitting here today trying to ask you to repent and become a good person so you can get into heaven. I'm asking you to seek out repentance honestly and truly and deeply so that you will call for the forgiveness of God. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, we read these words. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance is not just you feeling bad and facing the music. Repentance is about healing. It's about transformation. It's about forgiveness. It's about asking for forgiveness. It's important to do. And so, I link it really close to confession. Confession is a speaking out loud of the wrong we've done. And we also need to speak aloud, need to talk to God and say, Lord, I need your forgiveness. Do not ever forget that God is in the redemption business. He wants you to be with him forever in eternity. He's not excited to punish sin. He's excited to get you into heaven. But you have to ask for the forgiveness. Not long before she died in 1988, in a moment of surprising candor, Maganta Lasky, one of the best-known secular humanists and novelists, said, What I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. She never knew the forgiveness she needed. God is in the forgiveness business. Do not wait any longer to ask for it. As you ask for that forgiveness, cling to the gospel promise. There is good news to be found. Asking for forgiveness is actually a step of faith. You believe in the gospel. So repentance doesn't stop here. As your mind and your heart are changed, now your actions have to change. And we get to that fifth step, a final step of repentance, and it is consecration. Repentance requires rededication. In the Old Testament, the prophets, they'd call out to Israel and they'd say, repent. And they use this Hebrew word, shuv. I, I often think of shove, but I don't know that that tells us what the word means. The word means to turn. And that turning is twofold, to turn away from sin and to turn towards God. It's a change of direction. It's a change of habit, a change of action, a change of journey, a change of understanding, away from an old way, sin, and towards God. There's a consecration in that. There's a desire to move towards holiness in that. Joel chapter 2 verse 13 says this, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return, shuv, to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. He relents from sending calamity. You belong to the God now. 
and you must live like it. This is a statement, this this consecration, this turning back to God, this change of direction is a statement about the future direction of your actions. Consecration is a resolve to live towards what is right according to God. It's a decision to live a holy life, a life dedicated to life. It's not to make yourself good, but it's a response to the goodness that God has brought into your life. At a meeting of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Bobby Richardson, uh, former New York Yankee second baseman, he offered a prayer. It's short, and it's straight to the point, and I think it's great for understanding consecration. His words were simply this, Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Amen. That is consecration. It's God's will alone for my life and your life. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. So, we're in the season of Lent. Whether you are celebrating that or not, doesn't really matter. But we're talking about repentance. And I encourage you today to submit to God, to seek repentance. Not just fear out of consequences for sin, but seeking to live life as God designed it. So, it starts with conviction. Facing the truth and God's holiness, and that truth should move you to godly sorrow, to contrition. Contrition is not meant to leave you burdened, but to push you to cry out in confession of your sin and the need, your need for Jesus. And he meets your need in a way that no one else can with forgiveness. So, call out for that forgiveness. And then finally, repentance ends with consecration, a rededication of your life to holiness and to God. So, seek true repentance before God. That repentance will open the door to salvation and the good news of the kingdom of heaven. I want to close with just a couple more words, a prayer written by Andrew Murray, and he writes these words, May not a single moment of my life be spent outside the light, love, and joy of God's presence, and not a moment without the entire surrender of myself as a vessel for Him to fill full of His Spirit and His love. Let's pray. Lord, examine our hearts, convict us with truth, draw us deeply into your presence and into repentance. Fill us with holy fear and holy hunger for you. Lord, cause us to truly repent and turn around to face you. Change our minds, change our hearts, and the direction of our lives towards you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.